You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. U.S. equities soar even as bond yields surge, plus a deep dive on what's really going on with the Archegos liquidation. Hi, I'm Jack Farley. This is The Daily Briefing. I have the pleasure of being joined by Real Vision's Max Weethy and Weston Nakamura. How are you doing, guys? Doing well. <laughs> well, glad to hear it. Um, so what did you, let's start off. What did you make of the price action today? Uh, the Nasdaq surging, I think, as of now, we're feeling this about 3.40 p.m., uh, 2% for the day. That on a day when U.S. 30-year bond yields uh, surged by four basis points. Um, oh, and by the way, if I didn't mention, the S&P 500 is at another all-time high, uh, right below that 4,000 level. What do you guys make of that? Weston, why don't you kick it off? I know you've got uh, an interesting theory relating to Archegos. Um, well, I, I don't know if that's you know, specifically at the 4,000 uh, mark. But yeah, I, th I think that, um, look, SPX is going to be testing 4,000 for some time. This is clearly a very, you know, hard psychological resistance. Uh, I actually had a um, call out since last May uh, as it was going through um, 3,000 uh, of my 4 and 40 theory that uh, people on the exchange are familiar with. And that would be SPX 4,000 with 40 million un unemployed simultaneously. Um, looks like I'm almost there at the, the SPX 4000 part, probably there at the 40 million unemployed part too for for real numbers. Um, but uh, yeah, closed that position um, last last week. Um, and I think that we're actually uh, topping out here um, for reasons tied to uh, a UDJPY. But uh, yeah, but but am I, am I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, surprised that it's going to just bump up against this this level for for some time that's uh your 4 and 40 prediction it's it's slightly grim uh max i, I want to turn to you what do you make of the action in the bond market today one term one word that stuck in my mind is unruly that's the term that was used to describe the sell-off in bonds over the past let's say month and a half um today however you know biden uh sort of unrolling his additional stimulus for infrastructure which is going to cost um trillions in addition to the 1.9 trillion stimulus bill that was uh, already passed um was uh, you know bond the bond vigilantes weren't out there in, in full force what did you make of it yeah well i think the interesting thing about the plan was as much as the spending uh there's tax hikes that go along with it but the spending i think takes place over like eight years and the tax hikes to pay for it take about 15 years. There's a little bit of spending and income mismatch there. I think that will probably play itself out in the bond market. I mean, I don't pay too much attention to daily price swings in the bond market. I mean, I do think that yields are probably headed higher. I don't think that this trend is over uh, for the meantime. Um, I mean, the main thing that people have said it's gonna stop this is gonna be yield curve control. Um, while I do think that there will probably be yield curve control at some point, I mean, the, the, the market is at all-time highs. Like, why does the Fed need to backstop the equity market 
with yield curve control. I mean, that was the whole reason that everybody was saying, like, they're going to step in, they're going to cap yields because it's going to crash the market. Well, we're at all-time highs, so I don't really see that happening. And uh, in the same way that Harley Bassman said that a steeper yield curve serves some policy goals too, it's good for the financial sector. Um, well, at, at least if you're not wrapped up in the whole Archegos thing, uh, it's good for the financial sector. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't really see that that end that people thought was happening coming, at least at this moment in time. Max, yeah, so thanks for... Sorry, Max, thanks for teeing it up for me uh, with the, the setup for Archegos. Uh, Weston, I, wanna, uh, I want you to explain the Archegos saga over the past, since past Thursday, because it's been a huge story that has gripped uh, investors, the news media, the, the investing public um, alike. But I don't think here on Real Vision with the Daily Briefing, we've really explained it. And I, I understand you know, you've been following this very closely. You're something of, um, you know, you have a lot of experience uh, working in that in that world uh, of you know working with with hedge funds, um, what can you tell us about about your theory? Explain it for us. Uh, um, what's going on with Archegos? Okay, so I'm gonna start by saying that my explanation is complete speculation. Um, everybody's is. Nobody knows anything about what's really happening. That's the whole point of this. That is that there is zero transparency. So anything that I say, it's, it's pure. It's just guessing. So just want to, you know, like li li literally every single thing that I'm, I'm going to say, right? So, um, so we don't, we we won't know the facts, and and likely we probably will never know the the real facts. Um, but yeah, well, know, well, sorry, Wes, I just want to interrupt. Um, yeah. You're going to make some claims which are speculations, and I'm glad that you tagged them beforehand. But uh, like many other people, we do have some facts, we do have some charts, we do have some data on, you know, the, the various stocks that have tanked, the um, the different yeah. banks. You're right that we don't have an exact picture of. The different banks' exposure. All we have are rumors and rumors of rumors, uh, which we're going to get into. But Mark, I think market reactions are right. We, we have been um, sort of, uh, you know, in the, the Plato's cave. We, we've been looking at the wall, looking at the shadow puppets, and we no one really has an idea of going on. So I'm glad that you're, you know, one of the few people who admits that. That being said, uh, uh, explain, uh, you know, first for the people who don't really know what's going on, uh, what did go on, and then and then uh, share your view. Sure. Um, so last week, um, you saw Viacom, uh, Discovery, DISCA, B shares, um, and a few of the, uh, you know, um, Chinese listed uh, in the U.S. Uh, like um, GSX, Baidu, uh, Tencent Music, and so on and so forth. They just took, you know, massive, massive sell-offs, fifty percent or more. Um, this is allegedly tied to a uh, long short. Uh, fundamental equity hedge fund based in the United States, but with offices in Asia, specifically in Korea, uh, called Archigo, and it's a uh, Tiger Cub. So basically, Julian Robertson um, and Tiger X Management, and this gentleman named Bill Huang, who had um, pleaded guilty for insider trading back in uh, 2012. Um, it's his family office fund, family office, because of the fact that he is not allowed to take uh, outside capital. Um, this is actually... And Weston, sorry to interrupt. Can you just quickly tell people what a family office is for the people who don't know? A family office is a rich person's PA with PA employees. PA personal account, yeah. Yeah. It's basically like, you're, you're so rich that you don't have to work in the investment business anymore. You're a... It, it, retired. It, it means, yeah, it, mean, it means you don't have to... Uh, exactly. You don't have to... Um, you don't have clients. You don't have other people's money. It's just your money. 
Um, and therefore, that actually gives you um, some some leeway. You don't have you don't have a mandate to, to that you have to stick by. Um, you don't have to report anything to you know. Um, I mean, you're not going to obviously have any withdrawals, um, and you don't have um, to. Most importantly, disclosure is very different, um, and that actually worked in uh, in in the favor of this fund. So basically, what happened was. Um, these stocks plummeted, like absolutely plummeted, and especially on Friday of last week, on massive, massive volume. Uh, and what happened is that they're insanely leveraged. They were um, margin called for about twenty billion, and they could not come up with the margin, and so they were forced sellers um, of this. Now, by they, uh, I don't mean uh, argue of the you know the fund itself. They were obsessively pretty much done as, as it was by they I mean the prime brokers um, for which right now there are four of them um, there is Nomura Holdings there's Credit Suisse Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley um, that are you know kind of public and then yesterday what surfaced was uh, MUFG from Japan as well um, these are the people who a prime broker is basically your brokerage you know you're it's it's your broker you know uh, if you're a if you're a hedge fund right they provide hedge fund concierge services that includes stock loan and things like that as well and that also includes things like if you want to trade um and if you don't want to necessarily let's say show up uh as a um you know on a on a filing as a large holder of a company you work with your prime broker and you can trade on swap um, and this is what exactly what uh, this hedge fund was doing. What they were doing is they they trade uh, OTC on swap over the counter uh, on swap, and a swap arrangement is basically an agreement uh, to trade where you have exposure to whatever security it is directionally, but you don't actually own the shares of it. You own a piece of paper that represents shares of it. And the prime broker is actually the one who who owns the shares. So if you look at you know the top holders list, you won't find them there, even if they are a top holder, because you'll just see, uh, you know their their prime brokers listed: Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Nomura, so on and so forth. And so essentially, this is what they were. This is how they were able to uh, put on so much leverage without anybody knowing, because they're each. Use, they're using each prime broker as if they were kind of a, you know, um, uh, their 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 primary prime broker, and none of them have any idea about the other, you know, competitor prime brokers that that this this hedge fund was taking on massive risk. They thought that they were all the ones who were, you know, they were getting a hundred percent of the, you know, of the flow and of the, um, you know, CFD contract with differences or the the turtle return swaps. And when it came to light uh, that you know this 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 fund was not able to meet their margin, Credit Suisse and uh, Nomura especially were were really in trouble. And so they basically apparently what they did was they they called all, all of them together, the the prime brokers, and they said, "Listen, we need to have a very orderly unwind of these positions. Okay, no like blasting the market, no scaring the market." Like this is, you know, we're all going to go down together if this happens. So let's all just work together. And that seemed to work for like a day and a half. And then on Friday um, in the morning, um, 
sometime between, you know, at, like open and, and lunchtime, Goldman decides to blast the market and, you know, breach protocol. And then after that, it was just every man for himself. And, you know, uh, like Viacom shares, I think it dropped 20 plus percent on, on 10x, uh, you know, ADV uh, average daily volume. Um, and and they, you know, the 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 fund is is done right now. It's it's not about the fund anymore. Now it's about the prime brokers. Now it's about Credit Suisse. Now it's about Nomura. You know, potentially getting a credit downgrade. You know, these stocks are taking 15, 16 percent hits. Um, there are more bodies, I think, in the prime brokerage world to yet to surface. And so it's just a really big, massive like black hole. Nobody knows how much exposure they have. Nobody knows if they're actually done unwinding the positions. Nobody knows what other hedge funds are also long these positions that definitely also got margin called if you get a security that drops 50% within three you know three days. Um, so there's way more unknowns than knowns. Um, so that's that's you know that's basically the, the the very general gist of it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, Weston, it sounds like you don't think that this is quite over. Not necessarily that it's going to cause a, a huge risk off event, but that there still is some leverage to unwind. Um, can you tell us what, what do you think the signs are of that? Why do you think that? One thing that I've got my on is I think a, a chart we've already put up um, is the percentage appreciation since last Thursday of the stocks that were in uh, Arcagos's books or that they were extremely leveraged to. Um, so you know the big players like Baidu and, and Tencent Music, um, but you know the other ones like GSX, uh, TechDo, uh, Viacom, Discovery. What's interesting, interesting to me, Weston, is we haven't seen a real recovery in that. Yes, we did have Discovery Class B shares uh, surge a tremendous amount today. It's a very illiquid stock with, I think, a, you know, only a 300,000 shares or so uh, that are even uh, extant. Um, but the fact that we have that flatness, you, you haven't had a, a rebound, you know, especially in this market where every bit, excuse me, every dip is to be bought. There's, there's, you know, no such thing as a crash anymore. What did you, you know, what signs are you seeing that make you think that uh, you know this could be systemic, and then also, what do you make of the, the flatness we've seen since the crash? You know, they haven't recovered. Well, first of all, um, this question of whether or not it's systemic, everything is systemic. If you're if you're working with an institutional prime, if you're working with multiple institutional prime brokers, you are working directly with counterparties in the system. It is systemic. Whether it's systemic or not is not the question. The question is whether or not the systemic, uh, you know, the systemic nature of it becomes a massive problem or not. But it is very much to the system um this is why you know um like so ral put out a, a video in the at the end of january about uh it's called uh perfect storm of risk he basically warns about the insane amount of leverage in the system all over right following you know gme and, and all that and, and as well as the risk of one-sided positioning of the market right and so what happens is so one-sided positioning is what moves a single stock or like an ETF or a basket of securities. Leverage is what I call the risk glue that connects the rest of the global system to a otherwise irrelevant bet gone wrong, right? Like subprime mortgage defaulting in uh, 2007, 2008, uh, um, you know, that made MBS products toxic to be long. Um, that has nothing to do with your forward position, but 
the reason your forward position got cut 50% in one week in October of 2008 was because of leverage around the system, the risk, right? So, um, so what what I'll say is that this is not happening in isolation. This is not a vacuum. You don't have these stocks just plummet. And these are not obscure like small cap stocks either, right? You don't have these stocks uh, get halved, particularly Viacom, which got priced on Class B shares at $85 on Monday. And you are now looking at, if you bought that, you are now looking at a mark-to-market loss of down, what, 60% in within that same week. Um, these these do not have, these are not without consequences. Um, so the reason that I think that this is still ongoing is because um, the biggest overlooked reason, I think, is that today is, um, is Japan's fiscal year end. Okay? Japan has fiscal year end. Uh, in March, at the end of March. So um, starting tomorrow, uh, or I guess today for me, um, is a new year. So what you do, what you see is that in the last two weeks or so of March every year, uh, Japanese corporations do window dressing. They, you know, they, they, they polish up their balance sheets. They make everything look as, you know, as clean as possible for their, um, for their investors and all that. And then they come out with the, oh, by the way, we have a $2 billion loss or whatever. Um, Nomura came out on last Sunday and, and gave a very general statement saying, we're going to have a $2 billion loss because of an event. This is really good de- detail. Thanks. Um, and then they were basically forced to come out with a little bit more uh, detail. And then I was saying, look, MUFG, uh, Mizuho, these guys are next. MUFG comes out, $300 million. Um, but the fact that they're coming out a day or two before um, fiscal year end where they could push it off till next year's earnings means that it's that much of kind of a, you know, an, an urgent, an urgent thing. Right. Um, and what I suspect is that there are other banks like Mizuho, who is an underwriter of that uh, offering of Viacom at 85. They're very silent and uh, they definitely have exposure. Who knows who else who has exposure as well, but Japan fiscal year end means right now you're not going to get bad news reported. And so there's bodies buried within that. So that's that's happening, right? Um, and until that passes through, you know, uh, and um, there's no way I'm going to, you know, see, have a, you know, an, an, like an uh, all clear sign, right? Um, and then uh, in addition to that, um, I also think that in terms of, um, what was it like? Okay, yeah. So, so like counterparty risk and all that kind of thing. Okay, if you're talking about um, a long short equity fund, that this is what they are, right? They're not mandated to be long short equity, but they're not going to be. They're not a long only fund. Okay, they have short positions. But if you see Viacom dropping fifty percent and you know and all that, where are all of the short squeeze blowups? Where where is the the plus twenty percent on ten x volume, you know, uh, TMT stock, uh, tech media telecom stock? You don't see any, right? Like I've I've not seen any squeeze. So that I mean that in itself is very alarming because that either means that those have yet to come, and so this portfolio unwind is still very much in its like tip of the iceberg iceberg stages. Or, which is something that's even scarier, is that indeed hedge funds have 
de-risked all of their short positions because of Wall Street bets, and you no longer have short positioning in the markets anymore. And that is arguably much, much more of a risk than what more can come from this, how much more of this unwinding there is. I was going to say, I was going to add to the short seller because I'm talking to Carson Block tomorrow about this. One of the stocks that um, that that dumped was GSX, and that stock has been a battleground stock for short sellers over the past year. And you know, with all the stuff around Wall Street bets, people have been saying, oh, it's it's retail. The the retail army is squeezing all these shorts. And like, what do you know? It's it's a tiger cub who is behind controlling like huge, huge amounts of float for GSX um, and really it engaged in in what could only be described as a short squeeze. I mean, Carson thinks that this company is a total fraud. He's on the record, actually, I think an institutional investor saying that, that like he thinks that all of the, the company's um, customers are Chinese bots. And so, you know, these, these are sophisticated investors. They know what they're doing. They're not surprised to find out like, oh, GSX is a total fraud. Like they know exactly what they're doing. And so it's unraveling another narrative. Like we had we had a congressional hearing where people were dragged in front of Congress to talk about this thing. And like, little do we know, I mean, GameStop has not come out to be part of this, but it's a similar stock. It's a similar story. Um, and to say that to say that this is the only fund that's engaging in this sort of thing is just not true. Um, it's just uh, or extremely unlikely to be true. So I, I'm interested to talk to Carson about that and and see because it does intersect with with short selling in a lot of different ways. Yeah, Max, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you, when you talk about these stocks that have been short squeezed, I think you're talking about before the past week, over over the past let's say six to eight months, right? Where they're actually up over the past year despite their tremendous plummeting over the past week because they've 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 had a tremendous soar. And you're saying that Carson believes that that is due to a short squeeze in the same way that we saw with GameStop. Yeah, and that the people behind it who are probably also behind GameStop, like it's not like, yes, there was some retail interest in GameStop, but the idea that these same type of funds that look at GSX as an opportunity to short squeeze and to get long for non-fundamental reasons on massive leverage and to control huge amounts of flow, why wouldn't they do that same thing on all of these other stocks that people have attributed to the retail army? Like I just, no offense to retail, but you're not fifteen billion dollars levered five x. Like you're just not. So I, I don't think you have the same ability to move markets as these guys who are literally causing. I'm looking at Viacom, a, a company that is a thirty billion, twenty eight billion dollar company now after losing fifty percent. So like that's that's serious moves that are happening because of this this company, and that's one fund. Or it it could be more than one fund. I mean, Weston, do you think that this is the only fund being unwound at this moment in time? No, no, of course. Um, look, I don't know how much they're they're levered. Um, they're obviously insanely levered. Um, but yeah, like you said, you're not going to have what is it like over a hundred billion dollars worth of market cap? Uh, first of all, appreciate into the seller and then just disappear within a week on one fund, right? Um, because first of all, if it is one fund that's causing all of this, that's that's going to cause that's going to cause a, a, a potential credit down or or did cause a credit downgrade on on Credit Suisse yeah. and uh, Nomura on, on a you know negative credit watch from S and P Japan, and you have the um, you know the the cabinet secretary from Japan make a statement 
saying we are keeping an eye on this. The the Financial Services Authority talking to the Bank of Japan saying we have our eyes on this. If one fund is causing that much ruckus, then my God, are we in trouble? Like, they're not the only ones who are going to lose money. So it's either that or you have other funds that are very much involved and therefore other prime brokers. And again, this is the leverage glue, right? Um, I refuse to believe that they're, they're the only ones who went leveraged long these, these names. There are, there are retail investors and there are uh, long only asset managers and there are pension funds and there are leveraged hedge funds that were long these companies. Um, it's, you know, I mean, I, I, this is not a contrarian long. It's, it was up a hundred percent in a month. Right. So, um, there was definitely, um, you know, there's definitely long positioning and the fact that we don't hear about anybody else should be ringing alarm bells. Doesn't it, doesn't anyone find it strange that, that like, are they seriously the only ones that were, that could possibly be long? And well, the, way, if, yeah. the way you put it was, if they are the only ones that's fucking scary because one fund could cause this much damage. If they're not the only one and we're not hearing about it, that's scary because we're not hearing about it. Either way, you slice it. It's I don't know not which a is good scenario. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and the thing is that um, we we don't know what's going on with this one fund. If we don't even know what funds are positioned and are at risk and with who, I mean, the, this is just, that's that's why there's so much uncertainty uh, from from my end. That's why I'm saying everything is speculation. I'm trying to put the pieces together. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely, look, it's, it's not a, it's a very scary thing. Um, and, and again, I'm going to go back to, uh, the lack of short positioning. If you have a market that is absent short positioning, that is very, very structurally dangerous. Short positions, I don't care what, who they are, what their, you know, agenda is or whatever it may be. If you have short positions in the market and the market is, you know, nosediving, you have an economic actor. Um, who, you have an actor in the market who is who has an economic uh, benefit to buy into a falling market in order to take to take profit. You know, if you're long, you're buying into a falling knife. That's not good. But if you're, you know, if you have short positioning in the market, it acts as a stabilizer for um, you know markets in freefall. We are absent that, and that's very evident due to the fact that there are no short squeezes. In this complete degrossing of you know of the entire hedge fund industry, apparently, right? So um, you know, it, and it, it makes makes me think about like, okay, January um, twenty, you know, the the last the last week of January of this year, you know, post GameStop week, that was a very uh, historic week to end a historic month. So you have you know um, the I think it was the 29th or the 30th of January. That was the highest cash equity volume traded in history ever. It was 15% higher than uh, the next highest, which was in October of 2008. It was also the largest call option buying day in history. And then seven of the last 10 um, most uh, active call option buying days in history occurred in January of 2021. So there was a ton of that going on. But that, but and and obviously that was pushing up the markets. But I also believe that there was a ton of short covering happening everywhere at at the you know in the fundamental long short equity uh, hedge fund land uh, to degross their their positions. And so that short covering was also contributing to a lot of the upside we saw earlier in this year. 
it was not buying of new positions. Of course, some of it was stimulus money and all that kind of thing too. But the institutional hedge fund community were closing out their shorts. I think that, that that's what really was pushing uh, markets higher. And now that they're out of them, you're seeing markets stall. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I want to zoom Wes- in on, on call options in a sec, but, but uh, Wes, if, if I got it, you're saying uh, short selling can kind of act as a springboard because when the market tanks, that actually generates cash for those who are short the market, and then they have cash to plow back in. Whenever, well, but if people are levered long, then instead of getting a, a sort of short squeeze, you can get a long squeeze, which is, I think, how, how Tommy Thornton described it to me um, on Friday. Um, so uh, um, I, I'm a little bit out of the out of the loop because I've been following closely up until the past month that you know the Goldman Sachs basket of most shorted stocks has done really well. But over the past month, I've sort of fallen out of that. Um, you know, h- how has the shorted interest uh, um, evolved over the past month? Have we seen that dynamic continue? And uh, I've got a question. I'm, I'll, I'll punt it to both of you because Weston, I know you know you're a veteran in this world, and Max, I know you uh, talk to a lot of big time short sellers. So uh, either one. Uh, the last, I mean, the last data I checked on, you know, the like Nasdaq data. I mean, that that chart is just, you know, of of short positioning. It's basically, you know, it's leveled out for for years and years and years, and then it just takes a hockey stick downwards. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. the positioning hasn't happened, but the success of shorts on some of their targets has changed. There has been a palpable change in the wind in the success of shorts targeting. I mean, mostly it's it's just like the the shits backs and these companies like GSX and partially because of, you know, an unwind like this, which is not the same thing as the market sort of repricing based off of fraud claims like like most shorts would like, but it, it still matters that they are getting some momentum. So I'll be talking to to Carson about that. One thing I want to bring up is we've been talking about this all as like a risk, this all about the risk, the downside potential here. But there's another angle that you could look at it, which is a lot of companies just went on sale. So Weston, like, how do you think about that? When something like this happens, there is systemic risk. It can signal, you know, broader downward pressure coming in 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 the future. But at the same time, you have companies half off. Uh, what they were trading at a week ago. And I personally was on Monday, I was on the phone or on WhatsApp with a, a fund manager talking and in the middle of our conversation, he's like, sorry, my analyst has called me three times. Uh, and I guess like a couple of our stocks are down 25% on no news. It, they were some of the stocks that got into this. And then he's like, I got to go. Can I call you back later? And he was like, I'm still busy. I can't talk, but he just sent me his order. And he's like, it clears tomorrow. Like we just bought, like, we'll find out whether I'm an idiot or not. So I think they have held up, but you know, that's a, and he's not levered. He's, he's a long only manager. Um, so he's not levered or anything like that, but he, he did take that moment and say, this is a discount. Has anything fundamentally changed in my outlook? And he bought into that. So there is a completely other way to look at this that, yeah, if you're already long, it probably sucks if you bought that secondary offering of Viacom at 85. But if you didn't buy that secondary offering of Viacom at 85, I mean, you're looking at just an incredible discount and, and on a bunch of other names too. If you were interested um, in you know participating, but 85 was a little too high for you, 50 might look good. Right. Yeah. Like if 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 all else equal, right? Which is which is the case. So when when you hear about like 
traders are braced for Monday open. Why why are they braced for Monday open? Why? Because they're just curious? No, they're, they're looking for an opportunity, right? Because they know that nothing has fundamentally changed about the company. It just got put on the sale rack. And this might be an opportunity to go long. Now, I'm not saying that therefore go long just anything that you know sells off. But um, you know, when it's clearly a forced liquidation that is pushing uh, the stock down, um, it's you know, and and it's something that you've been interested in, and you're thinking, okay, when the entire market pulls back, this is a time for me to be able to cherry pick. Well, you just got you know. Um, Cherry picked uh, in the market, cherry picked for you. But the, but that, so that's what I would have said um, for years until two weeks ago <laughs> or one week ago. <laughs> now, now this time is different. Here's why it's different, right? It, like I said, in the absence of short selling, okay, this this is a long short fund, and there are plenty of long short funds out there. They they are not you know um, all of a sudden getting rid of you know um, having short exposure. Um, and, you know, being just directionally long the market. So I think that in the um, Archegos case right now, a lot of people are saying like, well, yeah, this is this looks concerning, but look at the broader index. Look at the Nikkei. It's green. It's fine. Everything's fine. Like everything seems very common orderly. VIX is under 20 and this and that, right? Uh, here's what I would say to that. Um, you, If you're a long short fund, you can't short stocks in the United States because of Wall Street bets. Okay, you'll get squeezed. You'll get death squeezed, 20x, right? You'll get melded. Uh, they don't trade um, Europe. They're based in Korea, but you can't short anything uh, on the Kospi exchange in the, in the Korea um, stock exchange because Korea has a year-long short sell ban that's been in place. They are not allowed uh, in, you know, in Hong Kong, Singapore. So. That only leaves Japan as the only active market that they are trading that they can short. There was one short squeeze on Rakuten, uh, like that was about two weeks ago, and otherwise there was nothing. So what are they? What are they doing? Are they really just a long only fund? So I believe that they actually just became a kind of a normal hedge fund where they took a single stock long position and they shorted the index as a whole. And that's why you see on Friday when all this chaos was going on, you saw um, the indices and especially the um, the Asia indices. So if you look at EWJ, which is iShares Japan, EWY, which is iShares Korea, for example, and SPY for that matter, they all ramp up into the close, like in the last 20 minutes of the um, in, into the close on, on cash close on Friday. Does somebody just get suddenly bullish Asia on a Friday afternoon? No, that's, a, that's a, clearly a, looks like a part of this unwind, right? So when people say that markets look fine, yeah. take a look at the markets. They're green. What you're pointing at is a green market that is part of an unwind of a position. <laughs> of a, yeah, of and, Weston, so, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. So you're saying that when a stock goes up, when the, the, the market uh, you know, pumps up, that can be a sign of an unwind as well because people were short the market, so they have to unwind that position. Um, Weston and Max, uh, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but uh, I've an, an invite to extend, um, at least to Weston, that we continue this conversation on the exchange. I feel like there's, you know, we really only have scratched the surface. Uh, I, I don't know if, if we've given the people at home a definitive answer, but you know, when things are this murky, sometimes you don't need a definitive answer. Sometimes you just need a catalyst to 
to, to learn more. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm think this has been a very good conversation. And um, for people who are watching this on YouTube, um, can you please, uh, you know, hit that like button? Actually, don't hit the like button. I want you to smash it. I want you to smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. Um, and yeah, you know, thanks to you, uh, Western and Max. I'm glad that you joined because, you know, as, as much as this sort of not chaos, but there, there's this turmoil that's roiling beneath, and it's unclear if it's been resolved yet. Is the unwind over? And you know, no one really knows what's going on. At the same time, the S and P 500, uh, you know, hit an all-time high today and is flirting with 4,000. In fact, I'm going to check: is it at that 4,000 level? Nope, it hasn't hit it yet. Um, but we're extremely, we're like 17 points off. Um, so Max Weston, thank you guys so much for joining and, uh, we'll leave a link in the, uh, descriptions for, uh, Weston and I to talk about in the exchange. Thanks so much guys. Thank Thanks you, a lot. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.